Now, the fourth Sunday in Easter, which is today, is traditionally known as Shepherd Sunday. And every year, we are called to reflect on the meaning of Jesus as shepherd and, conversely, of us as sheep. Now, we've spent the past three Sundays discussing Jesus' appearances following the resurrection. This week, we make a pivot to look at God's work in the world and what we're called to do as a result. In the popular imagination, Jesus as shepherd has a warming but kind of benign connotation. He's generally depicted in a field, staff in hand, surrounded by cute, fluffy little white sheep. Now, I'm the last to speak of the rigors of shepherding, but from what I know, this image is a long way from the actual work of actual sheep herding. Unlike cattle, which can be pushed from behind, sheep need someone to follow. They need a leader. This means the leader goes ahead of them into the dangerous cliffs, the rocks, and ravines that the sheep inhabit. Jesus as shepherd shouldn't be the soft pastoral image with fluffy white sheep. Instead, it should be Jesus, staff raised, fearlessly leading us through the fear, anxiety, and darkness that threaten us every day. And the sheep do stumble. They do fall into the ravine. And the shepherd knows them. The shepherd saves them. The Easter message that we celebrate is that Jesus has returned to us and will never let us go. Not because of what we do or don't do, but what Jesus does is our good shepherd. Unlike the hired hand, Jesus defends the sheep from the wolf. Jesus knows us and calls us by name. This is a message of incredible intimacy and equal security. I mean, think about it. This message of everlasting love, of unremitting commitment, should be all we need to weather the storms of anxiety and fear that consume so much of our lives. We should be at peace, knowing the shepherd is with us, watching us, knowing us, protecting us, leading us through the difficulties of this life. We should be at peace, shouldn't we? Are we? But that's not how the enemy works. The enemy surrounds us with fear, division, and doubt, and hatred. The enemy's one job is to make us doubt God's undying love for us. Make us doubt God's undying love for us. God's desire for our flourishing as beloved children, born in God's image and called good. So why does this feel so far away sometimes? Today's gospel reading is toward the end of Jesus' shepherd discourse, and it introduces a couple of interesting twists on the shepherd and flock narrative. First, there's this other flock that he needs to go and tend to. Oh, wait a minute. Who is this other flock? They aren't us. Why would he tend to these outsiders? Now, in the context of John's gospel, this other flock would probably be the Gentiles, whom Jesus tends to after shepherding the Jews. But it's also an embrace for the outcast, the oppressed, the overlooked. In the other flock, we follow Jesus' pattern during his life and in the resurrection. We follow his pattern for reaching out and connecting with whoever is the other. And thinking about the other, a number of us watched and listened this past Monday to a powerful webinar on faith and inclusion around the spirituality of LGBTQ. These days, it seems you don't get more other than with this community, and especially the T, 
the transgender community here in Arkansas. And hosted by the interfaith community in Little Rock, we listened as local leaders from mainline Christian, progressive, evangelical, Muslim, Jewish, and Buddhist communities shared their views on Arkansas's recent spate of legislation directed against the LGBT community. It was very powerful, and they, they spoke of the essential humanity of this community. Lesbians, gays, trans people are not an issue, but a person. They are people. And this legislation denies that, they said. They spoke optimistically from their ground's eye view that despite the division sown in the legislation, the majority of people that they interact with in their gatherings genuinely love one another, especially if they are LGBTQ. And Dr. Sarah Tarek, a powerful Muslim woman from the Medina Institute, spoke to the immorality of the legislation, likening it to the Taliban in Afghanistan. She asserted that, quote, your freedom of religion stops when it hurts another's right to exist, end quote. She then quoted black theologian Howard Thurman, my freedom doesn't limit your ability to be free. The entire session had me reflecting on Jesus as shepherd and his needs to go to another flock. The other flock was different. They were outsiders, but they merited equal attention and had equal worth to Jesus. His desire to know them by name and to call them was equally urgent. So there will be one flock and one shepherd, we're told. The shepherd brings us all together reflecting the essential imago Dei, the image of God that started in creation, and false divisions like sexuality and gender and race, like nationality and politics and theology and belief, all these are false ways of dividing us. They all fall away with the Good Shepherd who lays down his life in order to take it up again and brings us back together. God is at work in the world in one giant inclusive act of bringing all things in creation to him. Now, the news, the news this week surrounding the George Floyd verdict came as a shock and relief to many in this congregation, I know. We talked about it during Tuesday's Sacred Ground group meeting, the verdict announced just hours before. There was no celebration, only relief and a little thankfulness. But I've been haunted by it all week. Haunted not by the specter of unrest had the verdict been otherwise, but by the look on Officer Derek Chauvin's face as the verdict was announced. The camera held on it for an extra long time. And that moment is now captured on screen for an eternity. And what I saw was his full humanity on view. And I saw my own humanity in his face. He has a family. His children will miss their father, his wife, her husband. He'll forever be defined by that moment of weakness. I don't, agree, I don't agree with what he did, far from it, and especially as it seems to be a part of a pattern of brutality. But I know I would hate to be defined by the moments of my own weaknesses in my life. The Good Shepherd reminds us that we are called to forgive, even when it's really difficult. We are called to love. We are called to love Officer Chavin as much as we are called to love George Floyd or our LGBT friends or love anyone 
we might call an other. God's giant, inclusive act of bringing all things into creation together to Him includes all of us in our moments of weakness. We're not defined by these moments, but instead we're called to repent and be united again in His love and to be loved. Now, this is not a naive, Pollyannish view of our lived realities. They're not that easy. Jesus assures us that our fears are real. The enemy is hard at work sowing division and fear and hatred. These past several years have made that frighteningly clear. But Jesus, the Good Shepherd, assures us there is an alternative. Our emptiness and anxieties can be relieved, are relieved, because we have a Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd who goes before us into the darkness and brings us light. We are called by name in an act of great intimacy and made safe, made secure. So what would it mean to surrender ourselves to the care of God's Good Shepherd? To really let ourselves relax into that as a way of life. See, it's harder than it seems. We're not comfortable being sheep. It's been used as a derogatory these, over the past months for many things, applied to mask wearers or political partisans, conspiracy believers. It's tough being a sheep with all the negative connotations surrounding that term. But that's precisely what we're called to do, to be sheep. Now, it doesn't mean that we're inactive. And if you've been around sheep, you know that's hardly an attribute of that animal. But we're called to come together and to act in a grace-filled movement of love, Love our neighbor, even if we disagree with them. I've often been challenged about how our coming together like this as a church is sometimes any different than many other civic-minded groups that can earn our affiliation. Are we just another place to come together and reflect and maybe do some good in the world, like Rotary or like a Lions Club? The Good Shepherd is the perfect image for us who hunger for a connection in a society that values, above all, individualism and secularism. Because it is here in church, together, that we can release our need to be individuals and surrender ourselves collectively to the care of the Good Shepherd. My individuality, who I think I am, is, is, is still important in other civic and social clubs. But here we're given the opportunity to relax into loving community, and release our individuality into the collective. And that's part of what makes church different. This week, Good Shepherd Sunday, we're reminded of our abiding chance to live into our deepest yearnings for community, with each other, with all our neighbors, to forgive, to love, without division. He offers us the alternative to fear, separation, and, and insecurities that we face in a radical act of intimacy and security. The Good Shepherd knows us. We hear his call. Let's answer with shouts of Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Amen.